Welcome to the City Collective Podcast. We believe we are better together and exist to create space for everyone to discover life in Jesus. We hope that you encounter the heart of God and are challenged and inspired in your relationship with Christ. Wonderful. Grab your seats. Well, this morning uh, we have the privilege of having uh, two of our favorite people here with us, but uh, it's funny, I, I don't know if we've had Pastor Craig actually here to preach. We've had uh, Pastor Shanda here before a couple times, but Pastor Craig, he said finally he, uh, he's able to join us. So uh, it's a privilege to have them both here. They're a huge gift to my life and to Adriana and now to our little girl, uh, people that we, we love to, to run with, to walk with, to to learn with and to, to have real conversations with. You know, there's, there's relationships that you're given in life where you can just speak candidly and openly and, and know that you're going to receive love on the other side. And that's what we've discovered with Pastor Craig and Shanda. And so uh, I know that all those pieces are, are great on a personal level, but you're in for a treat this morning because uh, he's going to bring the word for us. So could you welcome as he comes to the stage? Good morning. There we go. Indeed a privilege to be here. Uh, those of you that don't know, uh, we knew Adriana first. Uh, Adriana worked for, for me, I guess, in the office in the church where we were at and uh, started to get to know Adriana. And then randomly, uh, as seems to happen for me, uh, I was in a coffee shop, uh, West Village Cafe, saw a friend of mine talking to someone who I didn't know, so I came over and introduced myself, who was Jason. And uh, as sometimes happens with me, uh, I just started to think about that. Two people, single people, really good people, both that I grew to know a little bit more. And I knew Adriana a little bit better, so I started saying things to her like, would you ever be interested in getting to meet somebody? I know somebody. She'd be like, who? I said, well, I'm not going to tell you. I'm just still thinking. And that really uh, helped her to really love me a lot more in those moments. And uh, eventually, I think I said, uh, we were at, in a meeting together, and I just said, I, I, I could, like, are you ready? And she said, yes, who is it? I said, well, he's kind of an entrepreneurial guy, um, really a nice guy. I think you would like to get to know him. And so I connected them. And and I never said he was a pastor because I was sure that Adriana would be like, there is no way in something that uh, I will have anything to do with a pastor. And uh, so they met and uh, then they started. And uh, as we, if you know them, uh, Jason said we like to run with them. Well, they were running. Once they started, they were running. And by uh, December of that year, I think they met in May or June. And by December of that year, they were married and uh, in the middle of a church planting adventure. And so in it all, uh, just such a great privilege to be in their life and their, uh, you are blessed to have them as your pastors. I, Jason and Adriana are people full of passion and life, uh, heart for people. Jason is one of these unique uh, combinations that is uh, not always there. Someone who's a builder, but also somebody who loves people. Uh, and he's always thinking about it in our conversations about your church. And we talk about you, it's all right. None of you as individuals, but... <laughs> 
honestly. Uh, but talk about your church and everything. And it's always primary up on the top of it is, is how is this going to help people grow in their relationship with Jesus, come to know Jesus? How can we help move people along? And so that's, that's who they are. They're the real deal. You're blessed to have them, and I, I hope and pray that uh, that you're an encouragement to them as they are to you. I know so many. And if you haven't, uh, you, there's a neat, neat thing that uh, called texting. If you have their number, you can just like send them a text even before the end of the service because you're probably not going to be listening to me. Um, just send them a note of encouragement maybe throughout the week. Uh, it's really easy, particularly in the last couple of years, uh, for people to express their opinion. Anybody else figure that out? And uh, sometimes what your pastor needs is not your opinion, but he needs your encouragement. The world is tough for all of us. And so if you're, if you're really good at opinions, can I encourage you as well to be as equally or even more on encouragement? Encourage, uh, encourage your leaders. Uh, encourage your leaders with not just at Jason and Adriana's level, but everywhere someone is leading, that we would be voices of encouragement and life in it all. So I'm going to, now that I've meddled enough, uh, well, I'm not done meddling yet. But anyway, Matthew chapter 5, if you want to turn in your Bible to there. Uh, I'm, I'm jumping in somewhere in the middle of this series on Matthews. I think you're, you're past here, but I asked to choose a certain passage. So Matthew chapter 5, 1 to 4, it says, says this. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Blessed or blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. And I'm going to stop there right at verse 4. This section of scripture is one of the most well-known of Jesus' uh, teachings. It's where uh, kind of at the beginning of his ministry, it's called the Beatitudes. Uh, when I was in Sunday school, they, were, they would say, these are the attitudes that you should be. So they called them the Beatitudes. Always cheesy in Sunday school, always corny jokes from somebody. And here it was, Jesus is prevent, uh, presenting what some scholars call the sum of his teaching, the ethical teaching of Jesus. The, some have called it the Declaration of the Kingdom. The Americans have their Declaration of Independence. Communists have their manifest, uh, ma Communist Manifesto. But with this message, Jesus is declaring to his followers a way to be and a way to live that is different than maybe they had experienced to that point. And we're going to go pick up on verse 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that your word is quick, your word is powerful, and Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us, not to someone else, or not to someone else that we think needs to hear this, Lord, but that you would speak to us. Personalize this word, Lord, thank you that you, Holy Spirit, are able to do it, that you're able to take what I say, to take the scripture that's spoken, and do something even better than that, and bring it life in our spirit. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. This is small. I'm going to put this down here. So... How many of you uh, have ever gone on a, a journey where you had to pack a suitcase? Everybody's done that before. Now, there are different kinds of people. People pack different ways. When we're going to go on a, on a trip that involves a suitcase, my wife will start sometimes weeks ahead putting stuff into the suitcase. I think I'm going to need that. Puts that in there. Puts another one in there. And I'm like, okay. She's like, when are you going to pack? I'm I said, I'm not nervous about this at all, but apparently you are. And so she will be saying, no, I think you should pack. And then oftentimes what will happen the, the night before 
just before going to bed, I'll go into my, <laughs> sometimes the morning of, the morning of, I'll get up a half hour early and I'll just throw in how many days? One, two, three, four, five, seven pairs of socks, seven underwear, because if I have those, I'm going to be all right. Then I throw in my other stuff and within probably 10 minutes, I am fully packed and it drives my wife bananas. Like she hates traveling with me like that. But I, and if I forget something, I said, I'm, if I forget something, I'll buy it. Like it's not the end of the world. I'm not going to stress over packing my bags. How many of you are more on my end of the scale? See, most, most of them are men. We'll just note that. Not all of them, but most of them are men. So how, you, how many of you are more like, I'm going to pack days in advance so I don't forget anything? Because ladies, how are you going to forget anything? You bring everything you own. We know that's true. Yeah, what if you forget something? No, no. Well, last summer we were at, or this past summer, we were at YVR and we were flying out to Winnipeg. And uh, because we had seen all the stories of bags being packed on runways and everything, we said, we're going to pack just our little carry-ons. Santa had a carry-on. I have a carry-on. Mine was half full. Hers was not. Mine was not half full because it had more of her stuff in it. But... Here we are, and we're getting in, and Shanda is irritated about having to wait because the Nexus thing didn't really work and everything. And so we're standing in line, putting our bags in. There's a long lineup of them checking all the bags. And my bag is waiting. Shanda's gets pulled aside. And the lady starts rooting through it. Like all the things, like, what's this? What's that? What's that? And Shanda is such a woman of God that I can see the temperature rising in her. She's just like, what are you doing? I always take that. But it was bad because there was a guy in front of me who had a, like a, a shampoo thing like this big, like the one liter size. You're allowed to have like 100 mils or whatever. He's like, there's only 100 mils left in the bottom. The, the person is like, no, that is not going to work. Then Shanda gets in the line. And so she's already irritated by it this time. And she's getting it. And she's negotiating with ladies. Stuff's getting thrown away. Shanda's just praising Jesus and saying, thank you, Lord. And worship is happening all through. Words are being said, and, uh, and I'm just looking on the side, and I'm trying not to laugh. But I know if I laugh, I may not make it onto the plane. We'll just say that. I don't know how what would happen. And she packed it in there, finally got it all stuffed. She's just steaming, puts it all in, and, and off we go. A lady comes up, can we help you? Because uh, Shanda's kind of in the middle of the walkway and putting herself, can I help you? You need to get that aside, lady. I'm thinking, lady, you do not want to mess with this woman right now. I said, we got this. So I'll take care of it. Don't worry. We'll be done in a moment. And that baggage made it all there. We're happy. We got there, and everything worked out well. But when you're going on an airline, there are all kinds of suggestions. Don't let someone else pack your bag. Has anybody ever seen that before? And they ask you that because it could be dangerous. They, you could be carrying uh, something for someone else that's illegal or dangerous. You could be packing a knife, a gun, uh, drugs. I was watching an article the other day. There was, there's, it happens hundreds of times a day in America where people have a loaded gun in their carry-on. First of all, why are you carrying that thing? Number two, why are you carrying it loaded? Number three, why are you about to bring it on a plane with me? I don't know. Don't pack something dangerous or because it could be a danger to yourself or others. Pack light, just what you need, because if you pack too much and it's over 50 pounds, you're going to pay. But we never pay. It all just gets transferred over to my bag because mine's always lighter than it needs to be. Is that not true? Yes, it's true. She's denying it. <coughs> no wasted space, that's it. 
In other words, you better pay attention and take care of your baggage before you get on the plane because if you don't, it could cost you something or it cause delays or it could cause you to maybe not even get on the plane. It could impede your journey. Sometimes life is like that. Things get packed into the soul of our life or into our heart along the way where we're not even always aware how they got there. We might be carrying on behalf of someone else that put it into our baggage. And here we are, gets into our soul, and if we're not careful, we'll carry too much for too long, and it hurts us too much. Proverbs 4 and 23 says, above all else, guard your heart. Someone say heart. A lot more someone's, please. Above all else, guard your There we go. We're here. It's not TV. I see you. It's all right. Above all else, guard your heart, for everything you do flows from it. Everything in your life starts right inside of your heart. In other words... What's going on where no one sees is the driver of, that everyone sees in what we say and how we react and respond in life. So how do we experience or why do we experience baggage problems? Sometimes it's just life. Things happen in life, things that we don't even know. It just uh, someone cuts you off, you got in a car accident and you got it, it, nobody intended. It just happens. Sometimes it's because of our poor choices. Turn to someone and say, I think he's talking about you. Sometimes it's our poor choices. Sometimes it's the actions of others done to us. Well, what do you mean, Craig? Well, things like this, pain of a loss of a relationship. Maybe it's going through an incredible betrayal in an adulterous affair. Maybe it's disappointment about not getting what you had hoped you would get or getting what you'd thought you should never deserve to get. Sometimes it can be false accusation or slander or betrayal. Sometimes it's a prayer that didn't get answered the way that we thought it would be or, or we thought that we deserved from God. Sometimes it can be financial loss. Sometimes it can be a business loss. Sometimes it can be things that happened in your childhood. And I know, as having been in ministry for nearly 30 years now, talking to people that most of us at various times are fighting to get out of our childhood. Experiences that we might have grown up in poverty or experienced physical or sexual or verbal abuse, maybe abandonment, maybe your parents got divorced, maybe someone walked out on you, you didn't experience the lack, you didn't experience appropriate physical touch, your parents were fighting, there was chaos going around. Some of you might even have not known if you were going to be safe as you went to bed at night. In May of this year, Shanda and I went on a three-month sabbatical, took time off from ministry. It would have been probably the most, not probably, it was the most difficult two years of ministry coming out of and through COVID. And I was tired, I was hurting, I was bruised, I was battered emotionally for a whole host of reasons. And it's, maybe it'll be a book someday. But, but one of the big goals of the sabbatical was to rest and be refreshed and allow the Lord to do a work in me. So in May, we were flying from Denver to Seattle, and I was listening to a podcast on C.S. Lewis. Anybody know C.S. Lewis? Chronicles of Narnia and a lot of other things, uh, the Screwtape Letters. Great Christian writer from 1950s. And as I was listening, a scene that had unrelated to what the podcast was about from Narnia popped into my mind. And so I'm just sitting there thinking about it, wondering why I'm thinking about it, half listening to the podcast and communing with the Lord and just asking what's, what's going on. And, and suddenly I just sensed the quiet whisper of the Holy Spirit. 
he assured me that I was going to be okay. Because I wasn't sure right then. And he was going to help me and lead me and show me what I could do and what I could not do for myself. He was going to melt my self-protective ways that I had formed due to the pain that I had experienced. And so as I sat there in the plane, something began to shift inside of me. And I began to be open and hopeful in a moment. There's a little kid beside me watching Paw Patrol. On the other side, there's an old lady snoring, leaning against the window, and I'm crying. <laughs> and in that moment, tears streaming down my face because I realized that my backpack was full and overflow. So a couple days later, I was sitting on my daughter's porch in Spokane, Washington, in the morning, reading, journaling, and praying in this scripture, Matthew 5 and 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. I read this and I was struck by this connection. If I don't mourn, I won't be comforted. If I don't mourn, I won't experience comfort. If I mourn well, though, I can be comforted well. Mourn? Me? A man? Raised by a man, my father, who rarely showed emotion at all and certainly not crying. I was raised in a lot of chaos, to say the least. And I learned to keep my head down and stay out of the way. Don't let anybody see what you're feeling. I'm a leader who's often reticent to appear vulnerable because I'm afraid that somebody will use it against me if I'm really honest with where I'm at. Maybe some of you have ever felt that way. And then there's all part of me that's like, what's the point of talking about it? It happened and there's nothing I can do about it now. Move on. Cry me a river, build a bridge, and get over it. Kind of how I thought growing up. I don't know that our Western culture mourns well, and many of us are experts at stuffing, ignoring, minimizing our pain, our loss, our hatred, our bitterness, the stuff that's going on in our heart that we started to talk about. On top of that, there are those who are hyper-faith, sitting with someone recently in a restaurant and I could see they were struggling and they just kept saying, no, I'm fine. And, and they started spouting scripture at me and I'm trying like, mm, I don't think you're fine. Because they felt that acknowledging, acknowledging the reality of the pain of bad things would make them appear as unspiritual and that they didn't really believe God. See, the pain of our past, though, is often leaking into our present and for many of us is sabotaging our future. And to experience the promise of our future, we must mourn the pain of our past. This is the easy message of the week. But I'm confident of this, that God reveals so that he can heal. But I'm a little bit thick-headed. Some of you might have picked that up already. So the Holy Spirit continued to lead me along, and I felt prompted to go to Isaiah 61. It was written by the prophet Isaiah about 3,000 years ago. And it's a prophecy of the coming of Jesus. In fact, Jesus tied his own life and ministry back to this scripture in Luke chapter 4, and he referred back to Isaiah 61. And it says this, The Spirit of the Lord, the Sovereign Lord, is on me. Why? Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim. Someone say, proclaim. 
good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and a day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. See, this entire scripture is a prophetic picture of Jesus, the coming of Jesus. It's a foreshadowing of the kingdom that he was about to unveil and actually did unveil, unveil in Matthew chapter 5 and also through Luke chapter 4. And for several days, I sat in this passage reading. Sometimes you read the word of God and sometimes the word of God needs to read you. journaling, and I want to share some things that I learned that maybe will help somebody else. And if not, just have a nap and let, I'll wake you up. But all we're about to talk about is the centrality of Jesus in our story. It's not about a self-help book. It's about the centrality of a person who's come to do all these things. It's why he came. It's not a grit and grit your teeth and get over it and willpower and all that. It's Jesus. And Jesus came to proclaim something. This word proclaim has a creative aspect to it. It's declaring what is, not what just saying some empty phrases. It's the same word where, where in Genesis where it says, and God declared or proclaimed the day day. He named and created something and saying, this is the fact of what's happened. It's not something, just some empty words. In our world, is full of empty words and people making promises, but this is a creative word of God, the proclamation of something that has shifted and changed. Because we all know the power of words, because sticks and stones, as I said in elementary school, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. What a lie. I've sat with people and looked across the room or the table from people, someone recently this summer who said to me, you know, I was in a conflict with my mom and when I was 14 years old and, and we were talking and it was not good and, and, and she spat out these words, I never wanted you, I wish you were never born. Were born. Mourning. I know a woman who struggled with body self-image and, and food addictions and all the eating disorders because... She's traced it back where her dad had made a comment about her being a pudgy little girl. And she was fat, he said, when she was a preteen. And it deeply affected her. And it doesn't mean that her dad ever intended that, but that's how it landed in her heart. And she was mourning and imprisoned from living out her best life. So we know the power of words in the negative. But have you considered the power of the word of Jesus? He speaks a better word. Because all of us, if I asked you to reflect on it, someone said something to you that landed you, I think most of us would come up with something, yep. But have you considered the word of Jesus? He speaks a better word that's not just the empty platitudes of a teacher. It's not just a God of history. He's real and alive today and backs up his word and can change your destiny. Because he speaks a better word. He proclaims something that your pain does not have to determine your future. He speaks a creative word, a powerful, life-changing word from God, instituting something brand new for you and your future. And we know this, the power of the proclamation. 
in 18, the late or early 1800s in America, the Emancipation Proclamation went out. And it was words from the desk of Abraham Lincoln. And that proclamation began to change the situation of slaves all over America. The word had gone out, but the word needed to be heard and the word needed to people to drop their shovels and their, their whatever they had and begin to walk out into new freedom. Proclamation. Jesus speaks a better word. His words are spirit and his words are life. His words accomplish the purpose they're sent out to do. So in other words, what has happened to us does not have to have the final word for us. You're not done. The abuse and the abuser does not have to have the final word. The betrayal does not get the final word. The divorce does not have the final word over your life. The lie that we believed is true about ourselves does not have to have the final word. The loss of your business does not have to have the final word. You cannot change. We cannot change our past, but by God's grace, if you're a follower of Jesus, he can rewrite your story. He can rewrite your story. We do not have to remain a victim. We do not have to remain stuck. See, Romans 8 and 28 says this, and we know, we know that in all things, all things, the good, the bad, the ugly, the things that nobody even knows about, there was something that happened to me as a four, three or four-year-old that I did not speak of again to anybody until I was 35 years old and spoke to my wife something very painful and shameful that had happened to me. And I began the process of bringing what was in the dark into the light because what lives in the dark dies in the light. When it's inside of you and it feels like it controls you, there's something about bringing it into the light before Jesus and before a person who loves you that God begins to cut at the root of what has held us captive in shame, in brokenness, in pain, hiding away, smiling on the outside, looking good, but in the inside places and spaces that are dark and foreboding for us. But we know that in all things, God is the only one who can do something and bring something good out of what is actually evil. God is the only one who can transform what has been spoken about you, what has been done to you, and do something through the miraculous way that only God can do and cause something that has been a cripple for you to be something that somehow in the goodness of God, in the sovereignty of God, in the power of God, by the Spirit of God, can actually cause it to be a turnaround moment for your life. That what the enemy intended for evil for you, to destroy you, to stop you, to, to stifle you, to stop the call of God on your life, to stop you from being who he called you to be, that God comes in in a moment and begin a process of transformation, not just more information, but a process of transformation that through you, that inside of you, the transformation starts and then God begins to work in you and he wants to work through you for the saving of many lives. That's why some of you have experienced such battle in your life is because there's a devil who hates you, but there is a God who loves you. And I'm saying to you this morning and proclaiming over your life that there is a better word than what you have experienced. There's a better word than what you have uh, had happen to you. That the things that have happened to us do not determine the future of our lives. That through God, through the Spirit of God working in you, that the future becomes bright and possible no matter what others have said about you, 
no matter what you believe in your heart to be true about yourself, but you know this, that God who began a good work is faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's not just a man on a book. He's a man of history walking into to change your destiny. And a moment with Jesus can forever change the momentum of your life. I believe this this morning that Jesus proclaims a better word. Some of the words, the proclamation, and I'm going to try and move faster because well, there's lunch. Oh, you're all here for lunch. You're not going nowhere. Never mind. You know what it means when a pastor looks at his watch, right? Absolutely nothing. Okay. Jesus proclaims a better word. The first word he said is there's good news to the poor. The poor de describes anyone that through circumstances feels lack, afflicted, humble, powerless, so for anyone in the room today that feels that because of the situations of life, you don't feel that you have the upbringing, you don't feel that you have the connections, you don't feel that you have the financial ability, you don't feel that you have the strength or the courage today, Jesus speaks a better word to somebody who feels poor in spirit. He's proclaiming good news. Freedom for the captives. Free from the penalty of sin. Thank Jesus. He he frees me from the penalty of sin. But not only that, he frees me from the power of sin to control me. Sin done by me, but also sin done against me. That through Jesus, he proclaims freedom to the captives in spaces where we might feel like, regardless of what's holding us on, we feel like, no, I can't do it. I can't come out of that. If someone knew about that, nothing is impossible for, with God. Jesus proclaims release from darkness for the prisoners. He came to release, and that word release means to open, to open eyes, to open perspectives. Some of us need a fresh perspective today of Jesus. He comes, he drops all charges and debt owed to you and by you, and he's proclaiming to all that are mourning, I come to release you from any darkness that has corrupted you, that has confused you. I can walk with you through valleys of despair. I can walk with you out of distress, out of pain, out of anxiety, out of betrayal. I can come to free you from the prisons of people pleasing, from the prison of food addiction, from the prison of pornography addiction, from the prison of control and bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred. I can free you from all that. Nothing is too hard for me. Come to release you because Jesus did not just come to free you from something. He came to free you to something. Freedom from confusion to clarity. Freedom from cursing to blessing. Freedom from abandonment to family. Freedom from shame to significance. Freedom from rejection to relationship. Jesus is doing a good work and he's come to proclaim something new, a better word. And he proclaims the year of the Lord's favor. It's the canceling of all debts and bondages as well as unprecedented divine favor. Psalm 512 says, if you're a follower of God, that you walk surrounded with his favor like a shield. In, in other words, you don't step into a situation if you're a follower of Jesus that his favor is not all around you. And you go in, that changes everything. When I go into situations, I believe that God has already gone before me. He's got my back. He's my rear guard. He's standing beside me shoulder to shoulder somehow in the economy of God. His favor is on my life. And so I begin to believe. I begin to pray. I begin to act differently because he has proclaimed favor. He's empowering me with blessing. He's empower me with release. He's empowered me with resources. I believe that even though I may not see it right now, that that's what his proclamation is over my life. And it begins to shift how I believe about my future, how I believe about the call on my life, how I believe about my marriage, how I believe about my church, how I believe about my city, how I believe about, because God who is doing it is not finished yet. And he proclaims the day of vengeance of our God.
This is a weird one in the middle of it all. He's proclaiming freedom for prisoners and, and people getting set free in the year of God's favor and then the year of day of vengeance of our God. Because here's the thing. If you're mourning, there's some place where you probably want vengeance. If we're real. Somebody needs to pay for what happened to me. Somebody needs to pay. So God in his grace is so good. He comes and visits us in the middle of that and says, I've got this. I've got this. Leave it to me because you, you can't hold on to that. He's reminding us that he's going to take care of, he takes care of everything. He takes care of the books for your life. But he says in Romans 12 and 19, dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. The scripture says, I will take revenge. I will pay them back. It's his. Not only Jesus, but even Elsa says, let it go. Let it go. Let it go. It's not mean, there doesn't mean that they're going to they're, they're get away with it. You just leave that to Jesus and let him deal with it. Because you are not built, nor am I built or equipped to carry it. Let it go. To experience the promise of our future, we must mourn the pain of our past. We're almost done. And in the middle of all that proclamation, there's this phrase of hope. Come to bind up the brokenhearted. All mourning ones pay attention. Psalm 34 and 18 says this, that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Jesus is close. He's not far off. He doesn't heal from a distance. He's not unaware. He, you're not unseen. He's close. He proclaims and then he provides and we'll close with this. In this next part of the passage, we see Jesus coming close, offering not only to lighten the weight of our baggage, but also to load it with the right stuff. Come to give you a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of joy instead of mourning. The garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And when I read this, I was struck again that if I want to experience comfort, I must mourn in some area. I must release things to God so I can receive from God. It's like a toddler with a knife holding the knife at a wrong end. We have a little granddaughter named Windsor who lives in our basement suite and frequently comes up with a bang bang on our door. Comes up and she tears everything apart. But I can imagine if she grabbed the knife by the wrong end. I can't yank that out of her hand. Because it'll cut her. All I can do is say, Windsor, you need to let that go. You're holding it. You can't hold on to that. It's going to hurt you. And I might even slowly pull her fingers off very carefully, gently, because I need her to let it go because it's going to hurt her. And in the same way, there are some things that we've just got to let go. And Jesus gives a list, beauty for ashes. Ashes speaks to things that have forever changed and will never be going back to what they were. There are some things in my life I recognize that I just had to recognize that it's not going to go back to what I thought it was. It's done. And I had to mourn that and let it go. But thank God he doesn't keep me there. He exchanges that mess. It's all, it's all that's left out of all that. Years of friendship 
laughter, so much holidays together. It's gone. It's never coming back. Apart from a miracle of God, and I've got to let it go. So that I can have in its exchange a crown of significance, of beauty, of promise, a brighter day is coming, and I'm not my past. That we are who God says we are. He comes to give joy for mourning. That's where He takes us. It's His promise. We mourn well, we can be comforted well. I go through mourning, I don't live there. He takes me through the valley of the shadow of death. I don't stop. Don't mistake a season of your life for your life. Comes to give finally praise for despair. Hope begins to flow out of me. Thanksgiving and gratefulness begin to be part of my posture and my vocabulary. Because when I'm mourning, a lot of things that come out of me come out. But when we don't mourn well, they do come out. They just come out on people that we really love and risk shouldn't have to hear them. So it's so important to mourn well and get it out of our heart so that we can begin to hope again. Then praise for despair. All those, all these beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of despair. All these speak to the miraculous work of our living Savior Jesus. He's not an idea. He's not just a good teacher. He's not a man who lived 2,000 years ago and then passed away. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, he will quicken you. He will quicken the dead things of your life and begin to make them new and fresh. Matthew 5 and 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be. It's a promise. Comforted. That's the promise of Jesus. You shall be comforted. He is faithful to do it. He is faithful to do what he said and proclaimed. And he is faithful to exchange. If we will mourn, we can give to Jesus and in his place receive from Jesus. I might need to stand real quick. I don't know how we're closing, but I'm just going to do something here. So, Just to give privacy to the people around you, just bow your head, close your eyes for a moment. Nothing spooky. I'm not going to do anything like it's just, just relax. I think it's important to respond to the word of God, not to me, but to the word of God. And maybe some of you need to ask the Holy Spirit if there's something that you need to release to him. It's going to look different for all of us. But to receive from God, I've got to release to God. Because we must process our pain or our pain will process us. But what does it mean for you to be mourned? I'm going to give you some possibilities to think about. Sometimes it's just you and Jesus. You list them out. You release them. You cry over them. And you let it go. Other times, you need a friend to sit with you. And listen and hear and then pray with you and pray over you. Other times, you need to make an appointment with the counselor as I did after I went through this process and listed and, and things and mourned over them. And then I spent 
some days with a counselor unpacked my heart. Sometimes you need to go see your pastor or leader within the church. Sometimes you need to do all of it. But blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let's give privacy to the people around you again. Just keep your eyes closed. I want to pray over anybody who might be mourning right now. Just from my seat, I'm not going to embarrass you or make you stand up. But I want to pray over you. And it just as an as a response to Jesus. Just raise your hand real quick if there's some area that you know Jesus is identifying to mourn. Yeah. 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 Yes. Yes. Jesus, thank you that you are so good. You come to us in our brokenness, not saying measure up, but you come close to the brokenhearted. Lord, for those that raised their hand and probably others in the room that didn't, I just ask right now that by the power of Holy Spirit, you would, and the power of your word, you begin to speak a better word into their spirits. That right now, hope would begin to come. That hope would begin to come. That hope would begin to come. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. Cast all our cares on you, Jesus, because you care. Thank you that you're close to the brokenhearted right now. Lord, I pray that you would cause eyes to be open to the possibilities of the future. Lord, that you would give them courage to mourn, whether that's sitting in the in a room by themselves and listing it and talking about it with you, or it's gathering a friend or a counselor or whatever. Lord, Lord, I thank you that our worst days will not be the rest of our days. But through the power of Jesus, the one who promised us that as we mourn, we will be comforted. Lord, I pray that this day will mark the beginning of a process of walking out of garments of despair and exchanging them in their place. Garments of praise, beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning by the good spirit of God. Lord, cause hope to arise in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We hope it encouraged and blessed you in your walk with our Lord Jesus Christ. To keep up with City Collective, make sure to check us out on Instagram and Facebook at City Collective Church. Have a great week.